There is an old saying about Christians that they can become so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. And if we're not careful, we could read Colossians 3, 1 through 4 and come to that exact conclusion. Because in this section, Paul commands us to seek the things that are above instead of the things on earth. What does that even mean? If we're not careful, we will make Paul disagree with himself from the previous section, where he lambasts those who tell us to neglect and look down upon the physical world. If we're not reading carefully, Paul will be made out to be crazy or schizophrenic here. Has he lost his mind? No, we just need to read him carefully and in context. The Bible, like us, uses many of the same words in different ways. For example, I can use the word key to refer to different things. I have a key to my house or my car. There can be a key fact to a case that puts everything else in place. There's a key on a map that tells you what all the different symbols mean. There's even a key in basketball. If you don't know what that is, it is the painted area around the basket up to the free throw line. My context will help you understand what I mean by the word key. We see the same thing in scripture again and again. For example, the word flesh is used in at least two very distinct ways in scripture. To refer to the physical body or to your sinful nature. And if you confuse the two, it will lead you to some very odd and even dangerous conclusions, like you need to put off your physical body. The same thing also occurs with the word world in Scripture. World can refer to at least three different things. It can refer to the physical creation. It can refer to the world system that is in rebellion to God. And it can even refer to, especially in the Gospels, the nations outside of Israel. And the context will help us identify which meaning we apply to that word. For example, Christ died for the world that he created because he is going to inherit it. He also died for the world in the sense that, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, the nations outside of Israel. But yet Christ is at war with the world as in the system that is in rebellion to him. And we have that kind of issue here in Colossians 3 with the words earthly and above. You can very easily abuse what Paul is saying here and what he isn't saying and actually take his words to mean the exact opposite of what he's been arguing this entire time. We have to remember he's been dealing with the false teachers and those false teachers have been stressing asceticism, that is denial of the physical, denial of the creation as good and a certain form of legalism. They're, they have told the people to not handle, do not touch, do not taste and this is what Paul is arguing against. And these false teachers also saw themselves as super spiritual as they had these mystical experiences of angels, who Paul says are actually really demons. And so for reading Paul rightly here, we will see that his critique is done in almost a sarcastic and tongue-in-cheek fashion to his opponents. And so today, as we walk through this passage, we will see what it means to seek what is above instead of what is earthly. And we will see how the work of Christ lays the foundation for us to change and to grow in this life. And so the section starts with the, with the foundation for the rest of everything that really follows in chapter 3. That you have been raised with Christ, the first half of verse 1. Paul writes, if then you have been raised with Christ. You see in chapter 2, Paul lays our union with Christ out. That we are one with Christ in his death. We are one with Christ in his resurrection. 
And here it is posed as an if-then statement, but the implied answer is yes, you have been raised with Christ. And so we must note that the resurrection, even though there is a sense in which it is not yet full, you have not been fully raised from the dead, yet there's also a sense in which you have been raised from the dead. It says, if you have been raised, present tense, with Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, then this change will become possible. Then these things will work themselves out in your life. And this is the foundation for everything that follows. For if you are in Christ, everything changes. If you are not in Christ, nothing can fundamentally change. And so this raised with Christ here is a reference to the new life we experience at conversion. The idea of being born again, born from above. We now have a new self that is at war with our old self. But this new self is being made in the image of our Savior. We have new desires, though we still have the old ones. But we are now fundamentally and categorically different because we are in Christ. Because we have been raised with him. And so in one sense, we have been raised. And we can even say spiritually, we have been raised. But the fullness of that resurrection is yet to come, as we will see in the mention of verse 4. That one day the resurrection will be both physical and spiritual, body and soul reunited for all eternity. The false teachers, though, fancy themselves to be the really spiritual ones. They fancy themselves above the physical. And this has ironically made them more physical-minded, more sensuous of mind, and more obsessed with things on earth. They want to have this experience, this above experience with angels, and what they really get is demons. But you who are raised with Christ are truly spiritual. And this points us forward to the physical coming of the kingdom of Christ. Christ and being united to him is the foundation of all real, lasting change. And since you have been raised with Christ, you are called to set your minds on that which is above. And the raised here gives us a hint of what Paul means when he says, set your mind on the things that are above. So Paul continues his argument in the second half of verse 1 and verse 2. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So here is the command, since you have been raised with Christ. What are you to do? You are to set your minds on that which is above. So what is it? You are to not set your mind on things that are on earth. And what are those? And how is this different than the false teacher's commands to get these above spiritual experiences and to put off or to be done with these physical experiences? This is no small question. Throughout Colossians, Paul has been building this universal, huge picture of Christ. He's the one who created all things, both things seen and unseen. We read that he made all things, he holds all things together, that he would inherit everything. And even by the blood of his cross, he is redeeming all things in heaven and on earth. And the context tells us rather plainly here what Paul means when he says to set your mind on things that are above and to to not think on the things that are earth. He is tongue-in-cheek showing the absurdity of the false teachers. What is truly above? What has been raised? What has ascended to the right hand of the Father? Christ. But they are obsessed with the physical rules. They are obsessed with visions of demons. If you are to set your mind on what is above, Christ is the one who is above. And so the first thing we see here is that when setting your your mind on what is above is about setting your mind on the person and the work of Christ. This is 
the burning center of everything. He is above all. And you have been raised with the one who is above all. Paul says this Christ is seated above everything at the right hand of God the Father. You can think back to chapter 2 where it says this Christ is the head of, of all authority. That is, he is Christ over and Lord over everything. He is preeminent above all. Seeking what is above is about seeking Christ and his coming kingdom. We are told to seek his kingdom and that we should pray that this kingdom would come to earth. Christ says, seek first my kingdom. He also commands us in the Lord's prayer to pray that that kingdom would come to earth. Christians can debate on the how and the when and even some of the details of the kingdom of God. But what is non-negotiable is that that kingdom will come to earth. The fullness of the kingdom will be a reunited heaven and earth remade by the blood of the Lamb and that will be perfect forever. The second thing Paul means here, to considering on the things uh, that are above and the things that are on earth, are to understand what he means by the things on earth. We are to not think on these things, not at all. But what are they? Is this Paul saying that you shouldn't think about your physical needs? You shouldn't think about the suffering around you or the pressing issues of your day? No, not at all. Paul tells us exactly what he means by things on earth in the very next verses. Open your Bible. I want you to see this for yourself. Look at verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What is earthly? What are the things that are earthly? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The things that are earthly, the things that are on earth here in context, are the things that we do in rebellion to the rule and the reign of God. It is not physical creation. It is not the physical enjoyments or entanglements of this life. No, it is living this life as if God is not God and Christ is not Lord. Earthly here is a synonym for sinful deeds like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Earthly means making idols out of God's creation and distorting his goodness. Conversely, earthly here is, or above here is actually a reference to living righteously in God's world. Recognizing that Christ is the one seated on high and we should live according to his reign. The next list here in chapter 3 helps us to see what that means practically. Have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And the list goes on and on. To set your mind means to rearrange and to reorder your thinking and living in your whole life around what is above. And that is the resurrected and returning Jesus Christ. It means that the things on earth are not your end goal. But you are called to live among them righteously, knowing that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ has ascended, Christ rules, Christ reigns, and Christ is coming back for all of it. To not put too fine a point on it, what we are seeing here is all of Christ for all of life. I told you that as we walked through this book, you were going to see where we got our vision statement from. He is the preeminent one. Set your mind and direct your life around who he is and what he has done. And this means seeing Christ as the center, the creator, the redeemer, and the Lord over everything spiritual and physical. If there is some area in your life where you are not doing this, then you are not setting your mind on what is above. 
Nothing escapes his person and his work. David Powell is very helpful here. On his commentary on this book, he first writes on the aboveness of Christ. He writes, Paul makes it clear that the center of such heavenly attention is nothing but Christ himself. To be thinking on that which is above is to be thinking on Christ's universal work and lordship. This big Christ we have been dealing with throughout the book of Colossians. Powell again on earthly things. He says the things on earth are practices that refuse to acknowledge Christ as the sovereign Lord of all. That is what it means to be thinking earthly. And so here we are again confronted with this total uh, vision of life that comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. All of life is spiritual. And in that sense, all of life is under the reign of our Savior. Francis Schaeffer summarizes it well for us. He writes, true spirituality covers all of reality. The lordship of Christ covers all of life and all of life equally. And it's not only true that spirituality covers all of life, but it covers all parts of the spectrum of life equally. In this sense, there is nothing concerning reality that is not spiritual. Know this truth. Set your mind upon it. Rearrange your life by it. That Christ is Lord and he is Lord over absolutely everything. Now we must quickly dive in here again on what it means to not set your mind on earthly things. Not on the things of earth, he says. Let's focus on that for a moment. Paul clearly means here living a life without recognizing Christ's universal authority. And then when he moves out, when we move Christ out of that center, something inevitably moves in, generally us. We take the center. To set your mind on the things of earth is to live your life as if you are Lord or something else is Lord in the place of God. We cannot forget that this section is about answering how people should change. How do Christians grow? And in Scripture, there is not this fuzzy, soft, evangelical thing about the separating the mind from the heart. The mind, and Christ for that matter, takes center stage for all change. It is a battle for your mind, for what you think on, what you think is true, your heart will pursue. What you dwell on and stew over, you will pursue. What you feed in your thought life will become your life. It's the same thing with your actual physical diet. When you eat sugar, you desire more sugar. When you think and dwell on the things of this earth, you will desire it more and more. You're creating an appetite for yourself. And it is only through the work of Christ and being raised with him that you can change. And this sets up two important applications for us, and they're ones you really need to hear this morning. There are two ways that thinking on earthly things prevents us from changing. And the first one is rather obvious. When we set our mind on things that are earthly, that is, sinful things, we don't think on Christ and his victory, we cut ourselves off from the fountain and source of all change. We push out the only thing that can drive that change. We feed our old nature. We feed those old appetites and they grow and they dominate our lives. We are instead called to starve those appetites and to feed the righteousness that Christ has implanted in us. Because when sin grows in importance in our lives, Christ shrinks because there really are people who have been born again but who continually feed those appetites who get stuck and mired down in sin 
because they will not put off their old self and they will not enliven or bring to life what Christ is doing in them. The second application you must see here is a little bit less obvious, but it's an equal danger. When we lose sight of Christ, we lose sight of who we are in him, who are, or what our identity is. We forget that we have been forgiven and that we are actually righteous. This righteousness comes from Christ in our union with him, but this is what I mean here. It is real. It is true. You are really are holy. You really are righteous because you are one with him. This is the devious nature of Satan. Satan loves to tempt you into sin. He likes to sell you lies and say, do this, do that, it'll be so great. And then as soon as you do, he accuses you. Satan's name literally means the accuser. He'll say, you'll never change. You're a lost cause. God will never forgive you. You'll never be good enough. This is hopeless. You're trapped in this dark pit forever. And of course, without Christ, that would be true. Because the process of change is hard. It doesn't happen overnight. You will sin. But sin no longer has dominion over you. At that very moment when you are stuck in the shame, when Satan is accusing you, that is when you need Christ the most. Sin no longer has dominion over you. You are forgiven. There is now no condemnation left for you. When you dwell on earthly things, you forget about the new realities of who you are in Christ. Satan wants you to spiral and stay down in the guilt and the shame and to give up and for it to be viewed as hopeless. But Christ came to remove you from the muck and the mire. And he has made a way for you to be righteous as you grow through the work of Christ. When we lose sight of Christ and we focus on our earthly failings in such a way, we actually magnify our sin and make less of the work of Christ. Consider again the words of Colossians 2, 13-14. Paul says, "In you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Your sins have by God through Christ been nailed to the cross. Your sins have been paid and canceled is your debt. You are wholly forgiven. That doesn't mean you don't need to repent. It doesn't mean you shouldn't feel bad when you sin, but you must never stay there. Run to the cross. You are forgiven and you are a new creation. The final motivation for seeking the things that are above is that Christ and his kingdom is, are coming back. He's coming and with him comes all the promises of God. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The focus of the statement is this. Christ, who is your life. Note, it does not say that Christ is just an addition to a well-rounded, well-lived life. He's not an accessory. It's not even a call for you to live with Christ. But it's the objective fact that Christ is your life. You have no life without him. You are fully and totally identified with him. That is why your sins are forgiven. That is why you can change and grow, grow in holiness. And that is why you are guaranteed eternal life. 
all the glories of Christ, all his all-encompassing rule, his creation of everything, his sustaining of everything, his death that unites all things under him, that Christ who is above, that Christ who is seated at the right hand of God, that Christ is in you and you are in him. He is your life. He's the sustaining and directing force of your life. And that, brothers and sisters, is infinitely good news. He is unified with you and he wins. And so this passage speaks of Christ appearing and that when he does, we will appear with him in glory. This is a reference to his second coming and all that that brings with it. What does Christ's return do? It brings a final end to sin and death. It brings the judgment day for the righteous and for the wicked. It brings the full resurrection of the dead and eternal life and eternal death. It brings with it the new creation. It brings with it everything being remade by the power and the blood of Christ. To set your eyes on what is above is to long for that kingdom to come, that kingdom to come in its fullness, and that kingdom to come to this earth. When we will be fully like Christ. Creation will be restored to its former glory and made permanent. To set your eyes on what is above is to expect this world to be redeemed and to be remade and to long for it and that to feed your heart and your life. It is not abandoning this world, but it is longing for the redemption of this world. It is not abandoning this world. It is longing for the redemption of this world. For when Christ appears, we too will be caught up in his glory, that glory that we've been dealing with throughout this book. We will be fully like him, the Apostle John says. The foundation for change and for hope is that Christ is in us and we are in him, and that he has set the date and the fullness of these promises to come. We look forward for strength and encouragement in the here and the now, because we know Christ is coming back. Revelation 21 gives us that beautiful picture. The Apostle John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them and they will be his people, and he and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who has seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. God through Christ is making all things new, and his victory is our victory. He inherits this whole world, and you in him inherit this whole world. It is a blood-bought world. Every wrong will be dealt with. The final enemy, death, will be no more. Every tear will be wiped away by God. And that is the vision that fuels the Christian life. And that is our great hope. That is your foundation for holiness and your sanctification and your justification. They are secured realities and the date is fixed for when they will come. And it is his power, the power that made the world and will remake the world. That power is at work within God's people and within you. And he has promised that his kingdom of perfection will come. Therefore, set your mind on the things that are above. Long for the remaking of this world, not the escaping of it. See Christ as Lord and Redeemer of everything, for that 
is the gospel message. This world is his. He bought it at the cost of his own blood. And this world has incredible, unbearable, dark nights. Some of you have experienced great wrongs. There are things going on in this world and you cry out, Lord, when will it happen? When will the judgment come? And this is a reminder that in those dark moments, in the confusion and the anger, that nothing escapes his judgment. Nothing escapes his redeeming power. Take heart, O Christian. Christ's kingdom is coming. And that great wrong that you have suffered under will be dealt with. Every tear wiped away. Every wrong righted. Therefore, brothers and sisters, set your mind on that which is above. The risen Lord Jesus Christ, who is sovereign over everything and his coming kingdom. And this should not make you so heavenly minded that you become utterly useless. Rather, it's a call to live all of this life under his lordship and in anticipation of his kingdom. Setting your minds on heavenly things should not make you useless in this life. But it is a call to live life under his lordship all of your life. All throughout your life, Christ reigns. If there is any part of your life in which you are saying Christ is not Lord over this sphere or this realm, then you are thinking on earthly things and you are in rebellion against your Creator God. And so, as you go about your life, whatever it is that waits outside of these walls for you on Monday morning, I don't know what they are, but whatever they are, set your mind on the things that are above and that does not mean ignoring what is in front of you. Whether it be taking care of children, teaching, moving freight, business logistics, people management, finances, serving in the military, selling houses, selling cars, representing clients, customer service, school, and en or enjoying the beauties of creation. Set your minds on the things that are above, not by ignoring these things, not by pretending that life doesn't matter, or that what really counts is what is yet to come. But you set your minds on the things that are above by realizing that all of that matters. Because all of it is under the rule and reign of Christ the Creator, Christ the Risen One, and Christ the Returning One. Enjoy these things with that center. That knowing that everything you do matters because everything was made by Christ and Christ died for it all and Christ will have it all. This doesn't mean that setting your mind on that means that every five seconds you need to throw up your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. But it's operating with this foundational knowledge. So set your minds on the things that are above by wiping your kid's nose, discipling them, dealing with that cranky customer, or organizing that product. And you set your mind on the above by doing these tasks, knowing that Christ made them and he is glorified in you doing them in light of what he has done upon the cross and in anticipation of his coming kingdom. This is his blood-bought universe. Live like it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that this world is yours and that you have commanded us to set our minds on the universal reign and lordship of Christ. Lord, may that inform our daily activities. May we leave this place with great joy and confidence as we look forward and anticipate the coming of your kingdom. And Lord, may it come quickly. 
But until it does, may you sustain us day by day by your grace. May we never lose sight of who Christ is and what he has done. And may we leave this place just one degree more like our Savior. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.